Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. What is a core muscle? I mean, I think I've been following sports for the longest time, and I've, I've never heard, oh, somebody's having surgery on a core muscle. I mean, it's like, you know, obviously something I, I don't have, I would guess. But it's kind of like, what could be the core muscle that you need surgery for? All right. The Brewers season mercifully comes to an end yesterday. I am a huge Brewers fan. Here, here's here's my only note on on this. I hope the Brewers management does not make the same mistake this year that they made five or six years ago. In other words, um, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised the results aren't different. If you will remember, back in the 2014 season, Ron Renneke was the manager, Doug Melvin was the general manager. The Brewers um, started off 20-7. and seven. They were in first place for most of the season until an epic collapse in September. They went like 9-21 and 21 in September, and they, they ended up blowing the, this lead, ended up finishing third in the division. And it, it, was, just, it was just pretty much a, a complete and total collapse. What happened was in the offseason – the owner, principal owner, Mark Atanasio, and the manager and the general manager decided the collapse was an aberration, that, that the team, that, that the first few months of the season, that's what the team really was. And all the factors and all the problems that they saw in September, that was just an aberration. So we don't need to make big changes. We'll just roll out the same team next year because, well, they, they played well for the, the first couple months. And if you will remember, it was a complete and total disaster. The team started out in 2015 like it finished up in 2014. Manager got fired and it started a rebuilding effort. I hope, 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 as a Brewers fan, that the team does not repeat that history. Because here's the bottom line. Do you have a, a nucleus of good pitching? Yeah, you, you, you do. Do you have stuff to build on? Yes. But let us be honest. And there's no fault to be blamed here, but to be attached. But pretty much every, pretty much every move that the general manager made this year, this season, to get the team ready for this year, it didn't work. I mean, it just, it just, it flat out didn't work. They made all these signings, and with perhaps one or two exceptions, they, they were all busts. Plus, you had, you know, teacher, you had um, athletes and you had players who significantly underperformed where they were statistically. The worst thing the Brewers could do this offseason is to look at the debacle that was this year's team and say, okay, well, these are people who historically, in 2020, for whatever reason, they underperformed, and so let's just stand pat and let's assume that a year older, they will return to where they were a couple years ago or, or improve on that. That would be a huge mistake. The truth is um, that the team needs outfielders. They need a third baseman. They need a first baseman. They need a catcher. Um, they're, they're, there's all sorts of needs, and I, I think hopefully, I hopefully management is smart enough to recognize that and then takes those steps because it seems to me you can't roll out any semblance of this same team, particularly the position players that just couldn't hit at all this year and just assume and hope that it's going to be better. We will see what they do. All right. The breaking news story, of course, 
late last night. Now, so I, I watched part of the Brewers game, watched a Monday night or Thursday night football, kind of come in, turn, turn on the news, and I see the breaking story that the, the president and the first lady have tested positive for COVID-19. And then, against my better judgment, I kept the television on for the better part of an hour, and I'm listening to all the, the commentators that are out there. Now, these commentators, as a general rule, despise the president. So you, you, the commentary, there was an element of, of schadenfreude, you know, the fact that taking pleasure in the fact that he was sick. There, there, were, there were some of that out there. There was conversations about the 25th Amendment, which is, you know, what happens when the president is incapacitated. There were conversations about what is this going to mean for the st- stock market, all these different factors that were out there. Now, at, at the risk of, I don't know, at the risk of incensing some of you, I mean, here, here's my question. How big a deal is this? I mean, is this really a 10? And, and I ask that because nobody wants to get COVID-19. All right. And, and I understand if people want to take pleasure in the fact that you say, OK, over the over those ensuing months, President Trump has not taken this seriously enough and he should have been wearing masks and all those things. I, I get it. I I understand all that. But at the same at the same time now, I mean, you, you got to look at, at the reality. Most people, most people, almost everyone who contracts COVID-19 and none of us want to get it. You know, we should all be taking appropriate precautions to make sure we don't have it. But almost everybody who contracts COVID-19, especially if you are not extremely vulnerable. I mean, again, you if you're 90 years old and you're a cancer patient and you get this, it, it's going to be really, really bad. I understand that. But almost everybody who comes down with COVID-19 statistically recovers. Some people aren't uncomfortable at all. They're asymptomatic. Some people have minor situations, not unlike, well, uh, a cold. Some people have more significant situations, like the flu. Some people end up getting hospitalized, and, and nobody wants any of that. So I'm not downplaying the fact that nobody wants to get this. But at the same time, I'm listening to all this conversation about, oh, you know, what's the succession plan going to be and, and, and what's going to happen to the, the government? Well, we, we don't shut down the government because the president calls in in sick. Now, it might be, I, I concede, it, it may be somewhere in, in the future because the president's 74 years old. Um, he's I, I don't know how his health is. But, you know, he, he seems to be a little bit on the heavy side. I, I hear these reports describing him as obese or whatever. Okay. All right. So I understand that maybe he's in one of the more targeted at-risk groups. But at this point in time, I mean, is this really a situation for this, like, hair on fire? What's the presidential succession? How is this going to happen? New York Times, one of their reporters, sent out a, a tweet yesterday saying, well, maybe this means that the president's not even going to be on the ballot That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I I guess at some point in time, this stuff is a is a fair question. If if it turns out that the president needs to be hospitalized, if it turns out that there's you know a really really bad health situation, but are are we are we jumping the gun? On a lot of this conversation, I mean, at least right now, the reports are president is showing mild symptoms of this, and he and the first lady are going to quarantine. 855-616-1620. 
That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, nobody wants to get this. And again, if if you you think that this is some sort of sense of poetic justice that he would get sick, I, I get it. I understand where that comes from. But as far as this, oh my gosh, this is going to change the republic, it isn't a bit of that premature? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. I think it's a big deal in the sense that it's not surprising that the president got infected with, infected with COVID-19. And I personally am not sorry because he ongoing didn't seem to take the risk seriously and clearly didn't set a good example for the public to comply with common sense health rules and regulations. That said, I wish him a speedy recovery and hopes he learns something from this. Um, Jeff, I think many people are hoping that something bad will happen to him. I'm not a Trump fan, but it's kind of disturbing that so many people are happy about it and talking like he's already dead. That is not okay. Um, I think that's it. Um, 855-616-1620. Since he snubs his nose at COVID, it's kind of ironic that he gets it. Maybe he needs to take some hydrochloroquine or whatever that stuff is. And again, look, I, I, I understand. This is what I talk about with schadenfreude. I, I get it that there's people out there saying, ah, he downplayed this. It's great that he has it. That, that's fine. If you want to feel that way, that, that, that's okay. I'm talking about this aspect that assumes, oh, my gosh, the president's going to die. Oh, my gosh, he's not going to be able to continue with his job. And I'm thinking, aren't we really rushing that a little bit, given the fact that most people who get COVID-19 recover? All right. Now, it's entirely possible that he could have a bad reaction. And at that point in time, it's fine. Then we want to start, you know, having that conversation. But we, we don't worry every time the president gets sick. You don't worry that, oh, my gosh, you know, we're, we're going to have to shut down the, the country. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with. OK, let's start with Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Marcus. Okay, lost Marcus. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm not a Trump supporter at all, but I hope that he gets well. Um, Jeff, um, by statistics, 25% of COVID patients in the president's age group require hospitalization with 6% dying. Hope he recovers soon. I'm 25% of people over 70 end up being hospitalized. I'm find that hard to believe off the top of my head. Um, Jeff, didn't Boris Johnson of the UK start out with mild symptoms of COVID and then declined thereafter? Right. It is entirely possible. Look, I I understand. It's entirely possible COVID-19 affects different people differently. I, I get all that. I understand it. And it is entirely possible that maybe this will turn out in a, in a bad fashion for President Trump that'll have to be hospitalized. It's entirely possible. I'm just saying that that's not the situation that anybody is in right now. And you look at this coverage. I mean, for example, the New York Times sending out tweets saying, well, we wonder if he's going to be able to stay on the ballot. I mean, really? Um, Jeff, I think it's fake news so the president can turn around and say, see, it's just a small China flu, plus he gets to skip the next debate. Yeah, there are some people out there saying, well, I I think maybe this is going to benefit him. I don't know that that's the case at all. 
I'm just saying, you know, here here's the bottom line. Jeff, we can't wait until he's on a ventilator to plan what needs to be done. We have to be prepared. Well, okay, heavy heavy sigh on, on this. And again, maybe 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 that's going to be the situation. And maybe you're going to have a situation where we have to talk about the 25th amendment and things like that. But at the same time, we're we're not close to that. I mean, COVID-19 for the vast majority of people is not a death sentence. And don't hear me say that and say, oh, well, he's downplaying. No, nobody wants to get it. I appreciate it. And especially the older you get, the, the more it can be a bad situation. It's not a good thing that the president has tested positive. I am just saying that all these people who are jumping from, oh, the president's tested positive to this, this is going to be it. Get ready for, you know, President, uh, Vice President Pence to take over. I'm just arguing I think that is an overreaction to where we are at this point in time. Um, let's talk to, is it Jorge in Waukesha? Yes, Mr. Jeff. Hello. Uh, the reason I'm, yes, yes, Mr. Jeff. I'm Jorge. Okay, the reason I'm saying is that he might just be playing a wild card, you know, pretend that he's really sick. When he's not, I mean, he likes too much. And it would be a good way to get out of the problems and get out of everybody's watch right now because he made a really big mistake in that debate. So it's a good way. Happens in front. He's very strong. I would like to him to be the president, actually. But anyway, and this is not going to change any of the political outcome. Whoever is the evil is going to be evil, no matter what. But so- the reality is, it's a good way to just get out of the scene, you know, like like the first minister in uh, England. In what is it? Boris For Johnson. Weeks, he was sick. Yeah, he was sick and all that stuff. Two weeks after, oh, he's got better. Jenny's magic one cane and cute. It's going to be the same thing. I mean, everybody is listening to the news to everybody saying the doctors, how long this thing takes, how it attacks to whoever it attacks. I mean, okay. nothing comes. Okay, got it. Well, th- thanks for the call, Jorge. Jorge, his, your theory is essentially that this is this is all a master plan by President Trump to try to deflect attention and earn sympathy and get him out of the debates and all. I, I am a cynic. I, I admit, I am a cynic by nature. I'm not even close to being that cynical, though. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I guess I, I think you know it's it's. You know, he he has contact with a lot of people. He got exposed to this. He has tested positive. All I'm saying is for for everybody out there who thinks that, okay, the the president is now he has this virus and that automatically means that we have to jump to this next stage being, hey, it's going to be vice president, vice president Pence. You know, it does have an effect on the electoral process because, for example, the, the president was scheduled to do all these different rallies and stuff. That's clearly, I mean, I think going to be off. The, that's off the market for you know what, whatever the period is for at least ten or fourteen days. So you know you, having this happen in the middle of a campaign changes that sort of dynamic. But as far as you know, being part of some master plan, sorry, I'm not sure I see that. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, Jeff. Excellent show as usual. Thanks. Hey, here's here's what, what's happening. Uh, what I'm listening in, in my community. First of all, I'm not buying it. You can go wherever you want to go with that. First of all, uh, Mr. Trump, uh, uh, he should have been and had the virus at this point. So nobody wants to see any harm done to the president and to any human being, you or anybody. Okay, that's the bottom line. But at this point, 
Uh, this is a chess game, and I can tell you this on the street and what's happening. People are, we are not buying it. Okay? When, you, when you say not, so I'm just, wish- let me stop. When you say not buying it, you don't believe he's sick. You you think this is just a kind of a put up job, claiming that he's sick. That is absolutely correct. This, I, I am not buying it. All the times that he's been exposed to people that have been around, everyone around his camp, as you know, has been sick, uh, had to leave, and what have you. So now it took until uh, October right now, second, basically. So now right before the, the next debate and before the election, oh, now him and Melania get sick? Are you kidding me? Okay, well, Marcus, walk me Okay, walk me through. Wait, 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 Marcus, 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 walk me through this. Okay, so let's let's go with your premise that he's he's not sick. That this is this is fake news <laughs> that, that he's putting out there. How it is did, fake how, news. Okay, okay. It's fake. How does that benefit him? What what what's the end game? What does he get by claiming he's sick? How does that advance? How does that advance him? Well, what's going to happen is this. So it's going to support his base as far as that all oh, the president is sick and the people that are actually on the fence post, Jeff, that are like, oh, well, I don't know which way or the other. But now that the president might have an issue and people, you know, they look it's at the sympathy president vote. as the figurehead. Right. The sympathy, sympathy vote. vote. Okay. So, all right. Thank, thanks so for the, call, Marcus. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm kind of up against the clock. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I. I, I, there's there's some stuff I, I just don't know what to say about that. I, I just I, I I guess I find it hard to believe that this is some sort of master plan because again I, I think most people look at this and they take the reaction. See, he's getting what he deserved. He should have taken this more seriously in the first place, and now he he's sick, and and so he gets it. I I I, I find it difficult to believe. Now again, I. I you know, I mean, I always tell people, you know, just when you fall off that turnip truck, be sure to, you know, roll your shoulder so you don't hurt yourself. And, and maybe that's my case. I find it very difficult to believe that this would be some sort of master strategy to claim you're sick when, when you're not in an effort to generate sympathy. Because candidly, I'm not sure it generates that much sympathy. I guess my only point to this whole conversation is I think people need to take it all in, in perspective. And it, it may very well be that this turns out to be some sort of life-threatening situation. But again, statistically, most people who get COVID-19, they, they end up being uncomfortable for a while, and then they recover. So before we go to the extreme of, oh, this means he's going to be incapacitated, my advice would be, let's just kind of wait this out. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is a staggering local story that's not getting the attention it deserves. Uh, the, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is, of course, a complete and total dumpster fire. And, you know, for anybody who thought that moving on from former Milwaukee Police Chief Al Morales would have, would have like, changed things, anybody who was dumb enough to think that, gee, you know, you get rid of the chief, things are going to change. Well, all you have to do is just look at what's going on in the city on a daily basis. What was it? You know, yesterday, two days ago, they had 16, 18 different shootings and two homicides. It's it, it's. It's, you've got an out of control level of violence. And I think part of what is going on is you have a fire and police commission that is completely and totally screwed up. So a couple interesting developments yesterday. They, they've got to replace Chief Morales. So they thought they could do better. They, of course, you, you have an, an acting police chief who was part of Chief Morales's command staff, Michael Brunson. And, and Brunson, 
he was one of the finalists for the job when, when Al Morales got this. So he, he had support on the, uh, you would think, I, mean, I know he had support on the Common Council. A lot of people say he was the mayor's first choice. And you know some people in the Fire and Police Commission supported him. Brunson didn't even apply for the job. He's decided that he wants to retire, and he's still a relatively young guy. He could have, by staying on the job, by applying to be the police chief, by doing the job for a few years, he could have boosted his pension significantly. He wanted no part of it. <laughs> he decided he did not want to apply. Okay, so that that's interesting. They had 12 candidates that applied, and they narrowed it down to six. I find this to be stunning. Of the six candidates that are left, only one of the six currently is on the Milwaukee Police Department, only one of the six. Now, normally what happens is when there is a, a vacancy that occurs in a major urban police department, you will have a number of the the, the, the lifers, the, the people who've worked their way up the ladder, they'll say, okay, hey, we, we, we want to take our, our chance at it, this. Only one of the final six candidates is from the Milwaukee Police Department. Now, I guess there's there's two things that are possibly going on. First of all, that, that maybe maybe the Fire and Police Commission had other applicants from inside the Fire and poli- from the Police Department and just decided they didn't want them, which tells you something. Or alternatively, that nobody in the current Milwaukee Police Department, aside from the one, nobody wanted to apply. And, and I'm, my guess is it's probably closer to that, simply because if you talk to police officers, whether it's the rank-and-file police officers or whether it's people who are kind of in management, they will tell you that the Milwaukee Police Department upper management, I'm not talking about the chief, I'm not talking about command staff, I am talking about the Fire and Police Commission, and I'm talking about the Common Council, and I'm talking about the mayor, it is a dumpster fire. And I think there's just a lot of people who decided we do not want to be part of this. We don't want to, you know, put our necks on the line knowing that you've got a politically motivated common council. You've got a fire and police commission that does not know what they are doing. And you've got a mayor who's decided that he's going to give in to some of the loudest voices in the community and propose cutting 120 police officers at a time when shootings and homicides are pushing on, on record levels. So you, you, you have six finalists. Only one is from the Milwaukee Police Department. O- only one. And that's Assistant Chief uh, Jeffrey Norman. He's one. Then you, 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 you look at the other five candidates, and it, it's just almost head-scratching. Hoyt Mahaley, a supervisory special agent with the FBI out of Washington, D.C., Jason Lando, a commander with the Pittsburgh Police Department, Malik Aziz, a major with the Dallas Police Department, Chris Davis, a deputy chief with the Portland Police Department in Oregon. The Portland Police Department in Oregon. Now, I don't know this guy, I, one, one way or the other, other than, I assume it's a, a male, Chris Davis. I, I, I don't know this person one way or the other, but, okay, Portland? Oh, yeah, let, let's bring what's going on in Portland to Milwaukee. And John Pate, a former police chief in the Chicago suburbs, who is now not involved in law enforcement, a city manager in a Miami suburb. <laughs> it's just, you, you look at this list, and what it tells me is, with all due respect to the candidates, if, 
if this is the best list that you could have, it tells me that there weren't a lot of really high quality, extremely um People with extreme background, extreme backgrounds who know the community, extremely great backgrounds who wanted anything to do with the Milwaukee Police Department. And you can kind of understand that. I mean, it's just, you know, after Ed Flynn, I think we decided that it would be best to try to, to the extent possible, try to bring somebody from up from the ranks who knew the city, who knew the community, who knew all the players and I don't know that any of the people who are on the department, with the exception of the one, I, I don't know that anybody wants anything to do with it. I'm just saying it looks like a dumpster fire, and it's a dumpster fire because of the Fire and Police Commission, the mayor, and the Common Council. Who wants the job? Well, not a lot of people, apparently. All right, when we come back, have you changed how you think about COVID? Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. For whatever reason, Wisconsin is a hotbed for COVID-19 activity. We're one of what I think when you, when you look at per capita infections, we're, we're up to number three. This is despite Tony Evers' mask rules. This is despite all the information we're told about washing our hands and social distancing and things of the like. And, and nevertheless, you're seeing, you know, a couple thousand positive diagnoses on it on a daily basis. Now, again, at least thus far, the number of COVID-19 deaths is not, it's about 1,350. And that that's, and I don't even want to argue right now about whether or not that's an accurate count or, or not. Um, thankfully, the only thankful thing is that the number of deaths are not increasing in proportion to the number of positive COVID tests. But, you know, what you're seeing is the largest outbreaks are among younger people who typically do not have as bad a reaction to COVID as older people do. But nevertheless, nobody wants to to get this. And so, you know, everybody's trying to figure out why are we seeing these spikes? You know, what what's going on in Wisconsin that isn't going on, you know, elsewhere. And I understand some people want to see it as politics. Some people want to describe it as being, I don't know, just pandemic fatigue. Folks are just ready to, like, get out and start to socialize and things like that. Some people are just saying, hey, we're, we're willing to take the, the risk. We recognize that COVID is going to be with us for a long time. We don't want to get it, but nevertheless, we also don't want to live, not live our lives. So there's all these different factors that are that are out there. Given what's happened now with the president, and I understand we took some calls in the first half hour of the show, people who, who think that this is all just kind of made up. You know, and I, I just that, that they think that this is some sort of grand strategy on the part of the president to gain sympathy and things like that. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Let us assume that the reports are accurate and the president Trump and the first lady have, in fact, tested positive for covid-19. Does this in any way, shape or form change how worried you are? about getting COVID, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How worried are you that you're going to to get this? And we, we've done this. We've taken people's temperature, no pun intended, from time to time. Are, are you on a 10 going, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm staying in, in my basement. I am afraid that if I go out, I'm going to get this. And if I get it, I'm afraid I'm going to die. Or is it a zero, which would be, look, I, I'm living my life. I don't want to get it, 
But if I get it, it's just I'm going to get sick for a little bit or maybe I won't be that sick. I'm not that worried about it. Okay, how how concerned are you about getting COVID? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff, I'm not one bit concerned about getting COVID. I don't go to indoor places with lots and lots of people. I think Trump should have been more careful inside with people he was close to. I believe that not wearing a mask outside when he's far from the crowds did not have anything to do with his catching COVID. Um, Jeff, I'm, I'm six to seven concerned, but my question is, what what should I end up doing? Uh, Jeff, Jeff, I'm even more scared than ever. I don't want to get COVID or I don't want anyone I know to get COVID. Um, let's see, Jeff, um, I could care less. I already had it. Um, shouldn't have to wear a mask either as I have the antibodies. Um, Jeff, we all need to get this thing so we can move on. Jeff, I deliver groceries for Instacart and, um, our, our shipped orders have gone through the roof again. People are hunkering down, changing their attitudes, and becoming more fearful. I'm in grocery stores all day, every day, and so far, no COVID for me. Fingers crossed. Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am going to be 67 in early January. I have. I will wear a mask if it's mandated. I'm driving down south in a couple of weeks. I have no fear of getting COVID. I have no fear of getting the sniffles. I feel fine, and I'm just going to live my life and follow the mandates. Okay, so you're 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 out and about, but you're trying to be smart about this. You're not, I assume you're not running well, to the bar with like 400 people crammed in it or anything like it, that. It, I've had cli- I have had client lunches in the bars in Madison where people didn't wear ba- uh, masks sitting at the bar, and I have zero concern about getting sick. Okay. Maybe it's my feeling of invincibility in my old age, but I am, I am not going to change my life. I just follow the law. If you have to wear a mask, I wear it. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I do think... You know, for example, Governor Evers wants to portray this in a wants to see everything in a political prism. There's a story in The New York Times today that this starts to do this either. I don't know that I think that that's what's going on. I I do think that there's there's people who are more risk averse than others. And I think that there's people like Adam who just make this decision. Hey, I'm I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But at the same time, I'm going to live my life. I'm, I'm not going to be a hermit for the next year or two. And I'm willing to take my chances. Now, maybe maybe that's a dumb decision. Maybe it's a smart decision, but it's a decision that people end up making. Barb in Watoma. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Barb. Uh, my husband, my husband got uh, this here, and um, we think he got it from going to a bar because the bartender, um, she ended up, she was going to have some just uh, carpal tunnel surgery, and they tested her, and she had it. She had no symptoms. Yeah. And that was up here in Matoma. But I was by him then when he came down with it, and he got quite sick. I mean, not hospital sick, but. Yeah, he didn't you know, feel good. Yeah, you, you you didn't you don't want to get it. You didn't you don't wish anybody to get as sick as he got. Right. But yeah, and but I only had like a headache and I never got a fever. So I don't I never went and got tested even. I thought I was going to just go if I'm afraid of getting it. I mean, I've had breast cancer and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I really won't want to get this. But I mean, it's hard. You got to live your life, but I do think that the masks do help and mm-hmm. I think even if it's kind of a security blanket for you, I think 
if everybody would wear one, you, there's barriers between you, especially now that um, we're going to be starting to get locked up more with each other, too. You know, it's not like you're going to have the outdoors to protect right. you. I'm curious, Barb, will, will yeah. you go to this fall? Will you go to will you eat inside at restaurants? Will you go out to restaurants? I have went one time and we went for lunch at a bar. My husband's mother had passed away. But we went, like, at lunchtime. There was no one there. Otherwise, I have not went out to eat. I'm kind of uncomfortable by a lot of people. Okay. And I come from a large place. No, no. My I, I family think... has not. Right. But my family has not been together since last Christmas as a family. Uh, no, thank Because there's so many of them. It's thank you. I mean, it is interesting. I, I mean, I think you know. It, it, keep in mind, you know. I mean, Halloween is coming up, but then after Halloween, we're really not that far away from Thanksgiving. And I do wonder, you know, how is this going to affect family gatherings? I mean, Tony Evers, at least right now, and things can change dramatically in the next two months. He's saying, you know, don't don't get together with let, let don't go into these settings where you're going to be with a lot of people other than the folks that you live with. I mean, are are people? See, I don't think people are going to be willing to give up their Thanksgivings. I, I just don't. And I think that's that's sort of the balancing that, that's out there. People are making decisions. And again, you, you might argue that's a dumb decision. You you know, you, you should be hunkered down. You shouldn't be socializing. You shouldn't be interacting with, with everybody. You should be just staying safer at home. You should be avoiding these groups. And and, and I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are just making a decision. You know, we're, we're willing to take the, this risk because we don't want to get it. But at the same time, you know, we're not going to spend the next year or two or three years of our, of our lives, you know, living in fear of, of a virus that, again, most people get it. You're sick for a little bit. You recover. You're OK. But, of course, the risk you run is you don't want to be one of those people who who gets it. And you end up as being one of the thirteen hundred and fifty or fourteen hundred people who have died in Wisconsin as a result of uh, COVID-19. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One more coronavirus-related subject, and then we move on to other things. Um, the There are a couple hot spots in the state of Wisconsin, and in the state of Wisconsin in general, numbers are up, but there's a couple hot spots, and one of those hot spots is is the Fox Valley, Brown County in particular, and you've got health officials who are concerned that the hospital capacity may be may be overwhelmed at some point in the relatively near future. And keep in mind, that's that's back when this all started. That's what the whole flattening the curve was about. The, the truth of the matter is, until there is a vaccine that's widely, that number one is effective and number two is widely distributed, we're, we're going to have to figure out how to live with COVID-19. That That's just the reality. Until you get the vaccine, until you get the herd immunity, it, it's going to be with us. And, and so the question, at least in the beginning, was never how do we eradicate it? It was how do we limit it? How do we space it out? How do we flatten the curve so that we make sure that the hospital systems aren't aren't overwhelmed by, by people, recognizing that there's always going to be people that, that got it? Now, over the last several months, that has now changed, and now it's like, okay, well, we, we, we can't – people would argue we can't go back to school until there's no such thing as COVID, well, which to me – that's just a naive sort of thing because, you know, COVID-19 is going to be with us for a, a long time. You just have to figure out how to minimize people's risks. And it's why, you know, social distancing and washing your hands and not running into large gatherings is, is just, to me, it's smart. But so anyhow, up in Fox, in the Fox Valley, there is a concern 
that the hospital system, you know, might be overwhelmed. And there was a report yesterday about how, at least in one hospital, you had some people who were like in non-emergency situations who were like waiting, waiting on gurneys to, you know, get admitted into the hospital while they were, you know, trying to triage other people. So anyhow, um, health leaders, this is the story I'm looking at um, from uh, WLUK up there. They say, okay, well, Fox Valley health leaders have issued a public health emergency COVID-19 alert. In a joint statement, the city of Appleton, the city of Menasha, Calumet, Outagamie, and Winnebago, Winnebago County health departments encourage residents to take action now to stop the spread. Okay, Officials say you should physically distance at least six feet from people you do not live with. Good advice. Wear a face mask, wash hands frequently, and cooperate with public health officials if you have tested positive or in close contact. Okay, I understand all that. Health leaders are also encouraging the following strategies. All right, and this is what I want to talk about. Community gatherings. Do not hold indoor gatherings. In other words, don't invite people over to your place. Don't go to other people's places. Okay, um, let's see. Limit outdoor gatherings to 10 people or fewer. But here's the aspect that I want to talk to you about. Restaurants, bars, offer takeout, curbside pickup, or delivery only. Close indoor bars. Okay, so what they are suggesting happen in the Fox Valley is we kind of go back to the, the safer at home orders from, from Governor Evers in March. We close all indoor bars and we limit restaurants. No dine-in, dine-in at restaurants anymore. Take out curbside pickup or delivery only. No indoor bars at all. Close them back down. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, should we do that? Now, you're, you're seeing a spike up in the Fox Valley, and the health officials are saying, let's close down the bars, let's close down the restaurants. What do you think? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response was, I think we can be smarter about how we approach this. And by being smarter, we can limit the spread, but still still allow people to do what they are going to do. For example, big story in the New York Times today about how Europe is seeing an explosion of this as well. For anybody who thinks like the explosion of COVID-19 in the United States is is unique to the United States, well, what you need to do is you need to look at what's going on in Europe and other places. In Europe, Germany, Great Britain, Spain, of Italy, they trace, again, the, the new numbers, they trace it in part to the, the reopening of bars and restaurants and, and people get, along with schools, and people getting together. And one of the things that they're doing is rather than trying to close down restaurants, rather than trying to close down bars entirely, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're saying, okay, look, we're going to put time limits on this. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to close by 10 p.m. We're not going to tell you that you can't be open because we recognize people want to go out. They want to interact. What we are going to do, though, is we're trying to stop, like, the, the people that are drinking in the bars for hours and hours and hours. What, so what we're going to do is we're going to put time limits on how long the places are, are open. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we just shut down restaurants? Should we shut down bars again? And my response is, I just don't think that can, 
I don't think we should, and I don't think that is practical. And if we do that, you are pretty much guaranteeing, I mean, already the numbers are, they estimate that 30 to 40% of the bars that were in operation a year and a half ago aren't going to be in operation now. You shut them down again, and you pretty much guarantee that you have killed the restaurant industry and you've killed the tavern industry. I think you can accomplish what you're trying to accomplish by... Well, less, what's the word I'm looking for? Restrictive, draconian things. 855-616-1620. Should we close down the bars and restaurants again? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm from the Fox River Valley delivering groceries. No one up here until recently gave a hoot. The businesses will simply not shut down. Jeff, no one is being smart right now in this state. Close all indoor dining and indoor bars, period. Close them down. Um, Jeff, if people, all the bars and restaurants are the fall guys for this, I think both are fine. If people are sick, they should just stay home. Well, I mean, I think that's that's certainly an element, too. I mean, you know, like I say, you can't fix stupid. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you've got COVID symptoms and and you're going out in public, you just, you know, you, you deserve some degree of, of shunning. And I mean, and I'm talking about the COVID symptoms. This is the allergy season. So, yeah, I, I know I have allergies and I sneeze occasionally. I'm not sick with COVID. I, I've got the allergies. But I mean, if I had 102 fever and was coughing up a lung, no way I'm going out. I mean, I'm just flat not doing that. Um Jeff, if we had known how serious this was when we originally shut down, I don't think we would be seeing this spike, but we had no idea. We were in grocery stores, hardware stores, etc., complaining about the shutdown and not wearing masks. Jeff, close the bars, please. Um, Jeff, let's all move past the archaic idea of draconian lockdowns, give business owners an incentive to innovate new solutions in a pandemic, give a tax cut to all businesses statewide that are able to follow procedures effectively. It's the, it'll be the natural selection of bars and restaurants with only the safest ones who are staying open. Jeff, don't restrict bars and restaurants hours. Stupid people will just continue being stupid somewhere else. Encourage masks and other best practices and find your own comfort zone. As for me, I will be staying home. Jeff, we could be smarter, but the fact is the general public is ignorant to their surroundings and the safety and well-being of themselves and others, especially the general public that frequent drinking establishments. Um, Jeff Ray from Illinois. People just can't shut down every time because there's a spike in cases. Why are we constantly blaming the bars and restaurants for this? Let's look at all the factors. I need. I agree that maybe we need to restrict hours and capacity, but we can't just keep shutting down things when we have new cases. That is stupid. And like I say, that's what one of the things they're looking at in Europe is is limiting hours. So we're you know, we, we don't want a ton of people piling out, you know, into the streets at, at 1 o'clock in the morning after they've been drinking for hours. So we're going to shut down places at 10, which seems to me to be a more, if you feel it's necessary, that seems to me to be a more reasonable sort of compromise. Uh, a number of people are saying, well, what we need to do is we, we need to shut down indoor dining or, you know, indoor drinking. Okay, that that's all well and good, but what's today, October 2nd? All right, it's 46 degrees outside. You know, pretty soon 
the, the idea of outdoor dining as a practical matter is not going to be an option anymore. So the question becomes, when, when that goes away, do we have to tell these businesses to shut down again? Let's talk to uh, Paul at Shorewood. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just wanted to provide some feedback as the owner of Camp Bar. We have multiple locations, and I, you know, we've been open since the end of May. And these recent spikes, I believe, are correlated somewhere else where, you know, whether you want to say schools or, you know, whatever it is, college kids having parties. Um, but I think the bar and restaurants have become a very easy scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was telling your screener is I think the city of Milwaukee did a really great job of doing COVID safety plans with bars and restaurants because when we opened, we weren't really given any sort of guidance. But what the city did is they worked with us individually to put together a, a COVID safety plan where we could safely operate. And that's what we're judged on. So if there are any issues, uh, the health department will refer to those safety plans that we put together with them. And I think, you know, if a bar or restaurant is operating safely and maintaining distance and sanitization and, and things like that, there's actually no reason to shut them down. But if there's people who aren't following, you know, these plans they put in place with the city health department, then there's reason for, you know, shutdown or fines or warnings. Hey, Paul, but you had, have you had you problems with, I mean, have you had, okay, so, I mean, how many locations do you have? You have, you have the one in Watosia, you have the one in Shorewood. Is there one more? Uh, we, have the, uh, we have one in Third Ward and okay. our, our recent one uh, down by the Pfizer Farm. Okay. Camp. Um, so. Have you, I mean, have you, have you had problems? Have you had outbreaks, servers getting sick, people getting sick, anything contract uh, contact traced back to any of your places? Not contract traced back. I mean, people have gotten sick, but it, it hasn't really been work-related. Right. Um, but those are all things that, you know, are, are going to happen. You know, just because someone works at a bar or restaurant doesn't mean they're going to get sick there. You right. can get sick at the sure. grocery store. You can get sick, you know, on the bus. You can get sick anywhere. You know, obviously... You know, we take the right precautions. You know, we right. go above and beyond, and we electrostatically clean our bars and things like that. So I think it comes down to the individual operator mm-hmm. and giving them a chance to prove that they can do it correctly. It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all situation. And, and just as a bar and restaurant owner and being responsible, it is frustrating being the scapegoat when there are so many other areas that lead to these spreads. Are, are you so, are you dreading that's, that's the kind of are you dreading the onset of, of winter where you, you lose the outs, outside options or do you think you're pretty well prepared for that? I think we're pretty well prepared. I mean all of our tables are have been socially distanced. I haven't you know we haven't found even with a little bit colder temperatures, you know, too people aren't too afraid to go inside. You know there are some people who feel more comfortable outside. I think it comes down to personal preference and, and what makes you feel safe as a patron. Um, but luckily our footprints are pretty large in the bar, so we yeah. can really spread out and give people that space. Now, these real small bars, it's going to be a challenge, but yeah. uh, we're blessed to have larger footprints. Paul, thank, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, like I say, I, I, we eat out quite a bit, but we, we've eaten out almost exclusively at places where you can eat outside, and, and that's what we've done during the summer. Now, I will say this. The other day, I went out to dinner with my brother and my nephew, and we went to a place, and we ate inside, but it was a, a very, very large place. The tables were spaced out. We weren't close to anybody else. Now, of course, we, we were inside, but we were pretty much by our, ourselves, and I felt comfortable with that. I understand what Paul's talking about. I'm not in a hurry to run 
run into some, you know, closed in bar and be shoulder to shoulder with like 200 strangers. I, I'm not ready for that. I, I guess I do think there's a balance. And I do appreciate what he's saying about, to an extent, the bars and restaurants being a, a scapegoat. I do think it's reasonable, though, to say, okay, anytime there's going to be a public gathering, you know, that's where you have to like focus your attention. My, my problem with some of these health restrictions and some of the things the governor says is they're just, they're, they're not practical. You know, it, it's just you, you, I think you have to start coming up with common sense things as opposed to saying, okay, well, we, we don't want you to interact with anybody and don't have people over to your house. You, you can say that, but people just aren't as, they're not going to do that. Period. So why don't you try to come up with things that people might do? Let's talk to uh, Bob in Fond du Lac. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I guess I agree with the previous caller that we just need to do this sort of more reasonably and smarter. And perhaps that means the total number of persons allowed in the facility have to be reduced so they can be spaced out some. So for the really small places, that's Probably a big problem. Yeah, but you know we've seen the manufacturers and all of the where they have workers working all the time. They've spaced out, put up shields between workers and things, increased the airflow, and then common sense things so they can still work. Um, And of course, I think wherever possible, we should wear masks not just to protect ourselves, but to protect the other people we come in contact with. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, thanks. I mean, I I think that, look, see, there's always this kind of balancing act that that is there. And I think my big problem with, for example, the whole safer at home stuff, and I've said this before, is it was just this. It was just, to me, it was this knee-jerk reaction of let's try to close everything down without being smart, without thinking, okay, is there a reason to allow 300 people into a Walmart, but we're going to close down the the family jewelry store that might never have more than like six or seven people in it? And and my answer was no. We we have to be smarter about these things. And and to tell people, okay, well, you you can't have your family, you shouldn't have your family members over. You you can tell people that, but they're not going to do that. I, I don't think people are going to support closing down bars and doing away with inside dining. I appreciate what our first caller, Paul, was talking about, though. I, is it reasonable for the government to say, as a matter of health, okay, we're, we're going to require you to space stuff out, and we're going to require you to you know, come up with a plan, and then we're going to follow require you to follow the plan? That's that's perfectly reasonable. And maybe saying, okay, we're going to, for temp, for temporary purposes, we're, we're going to make you close earlier or something like that. That, I think, is the reasonable sort of thing. And unfortunately, we're moving more towards let's have this scattergun approach and we're going to do all these things, these draconian things that people aren't going to pay attention to and aren't going to obey. Why don't we try to modify this, figure out how to tailor the behavior to try to legitimately do things that people will comply with. But at the end of the day, too, it it is, you know, people need to be smart about this. If you're sick, don't be going out in public. You know, if if your if your kid's got a hundred and two fever and is awaiting a COVID test, don't send the kid to school. I mean, there is there is an element of responsibility that we all have to take upon ourselves. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. You know, one of the stories that 
pretty much all the different things that were out there in the news got the, the air got taken out of them today by the announcement late last night that President Trump and the First Lady had, had tested positive for COVID nineteen, and of course that's the dominant story now. There there is this this other story that's out there, and again I, I just have. I, maybe I'm the outlier on this, but there, there's a, a new book that's coming out, and it's written by a woman who was a former close friend of Melania Trump, and and she she was the former aide to Melania Trump and made a ton of money, including the fact that you know her before she you know went to work for the White House and Melania Trump, her the company that she ran was was paid millions of dollars to put on the inaugural. So anyhow, they, at some point in time, they have a falling out, and and she's she's let go. She's now written this tell-all book, and she's making the rounds to try to sell the book. Okay, that that's all well and good. And one of the things that she's got with her is apparently she was secretly recording conversations with the first lady, and now she's like leaking them out to try to sell the book. And the the story that's out today is about how apparently in a profanity relate profanity laced tirade. Um, Melania Trump talks about how she's, you know, working her blanking butt off because of all this Christmas stuff and, you know, who gives a blank about Christmas stuff and decorations and things like that. And and I guess and so that's the story. Oh, look at this. She swears like a sailor, et cetera, et cetera. I, I hear this. And, and I guess my reaction is forget if it's Melania Trump. It, it's just there's something that bothers me about. People that work for you or you work for people, you, you take money. In this case, this woman took a lot of money and you decide that what you're going to do is you're going to secretly record them with the idea that here, I'm going to play this back. I know at some point in time, I'm going to write my tell all memo. And here I, I've got this embarrassing conversation of what somebody said to me in confidence. There's just something that bothers me about doing things like that. And it's one of the many reasons why I wouldn't spend a dime on a book like this. And you know what? If it was a tell-all involving somebody who was doing the same thing to Hillary Clinton, I'd feel the same way. There's just no loyalty out there anymore. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Out in Madison, if you will remember that the second round of of rioting, destruction, whatever you want to cause it, call it, it, it was it was caused when you had a, a guy, an activist, who was arrested. You remember this was the guy who walked into like the restaurant with the bullhorn and the baseball bat and started screaming at, at diners, and it was a guy who apparently it had been at least allegedly extorting money from the restaurant owners. Hey, if you want me to go away, you got to pay me this money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, he he was arrested. And following his arrest, you had a number of people that decided to take to the streets of Madison and just destroy things and things of, of the like. He, he's he been in the Hooskow. He's been charged with federal in federal court, and he's been in, in jail awaiting, awaiting the trial. Yesterday, apparently a U.S. magistrate judge decided to release this guy, Devonir Johnson, to an around-the-clock lockdown at his downtown apartment with GPS monitoring. So he's letting him back out in the community. All right, here's the interesting thing, though. The magistrate judge says, well, I'm going to do this, 
but I remain skeptical that you're going to follow the conditions placed on him. He says, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do to let you out, but I'm going to let you prove me wrong. So, in other words, you, you know you have this guy who's sort of out of control with his behavior. The magistrate judge has some significant concerns about this, but nevertheless says, okay, here, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to release you. And, you know, we'll we'll just count on you staying at your apartment and not going anywhere else. Here's his quote. He says, I do not trust Mr. Johnson to do the right thing. He said, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, you know, let you out. All right. That's all well and good. I guess my question is this. What is the over under on how many hours, I was going to say days, but how many hours it is before the guy that's been released into the community decides that he can't comply with the magistrate's instructions and end up getting rearrested again. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be a success story. Just uh, color me doubtful. All right. I want to talk to you something about ba- about voting. And it's, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but I guess my question is, is it unreasonable to expect that people who are going to vote at least do a little tiny bit to get their votes in on time. For example, as we've talked about before, there, there's a federal judge out, once again, in Madison, who despite the fact that the state law says clearly that ballots have to be received by the clerk's office by 8 o'clock on the night of the election. So in this case, for a ballot to be counted under the pure language of the law, it has to be received by 8 p.m. on Tuesday night, November 3rd. So that that's it. Federal judge in Madison about a week and a half ago issued a ruling saying, well, what I'm going to do, because there's going to be a lot more absentee ballots, I am going to allow absentee ballots despite the fact that the law says they have to be in the hands of the clerk's office by 8 o'clock when the polls close, I am going to allow absentee ballots to be counted for the next week as long as they are postmarked by November 3rd. So theoretically, you could have that absentee ballot. You could, I don't know, take it to the post office. You could get it stamped and drop it in the mail. And as long as it comes in in the next six days, it will be counted. Now, the reason this has the potential for creating a huge mess is imagine and I, look, I don't know if the election's going to be close or not, but imagine a situation where when you count the ballots on election night, you've got Donald Trump who's ahead by 50,000 votes. Okay, it looks like Donald Trump's won Wisconsin, just for the sake of argument. And then what ends up happening is, gee, all of a sudden you get ballots that come in Tuesday, and there's 10,000 of those, and nine, 90% of them go for, for Joe Biden. And then the next day, there's another 10,000 that come in. And so you, you have this, these election results that are just up in the air for a week. It also invites the whole question of fraud. What about people who are able to systematically figure out how to get those envelopes with postmarks that say November 3rd on them and might be inclined to sort of send in ballots or whatever. Hey, we need another 2,500 votes for Trump to win Wisconsin or for Biden to win Wisconsin. To me, it's just a recipe for fraud. But the bigger point is, from the perspective of voting, we make it so darn easy to vote. You, you, you don't have to show up on Election Day. You can request a ballot. Now, you can get that ballot. 
you can send the ballot in. You, it's not like you just have to wait until the last minute. We allow early absentee voting, you know, for what, two weeks beforehand, before the election. You can go down in person and, and vote. You know, we don't have an election day anymore. We have like an election two months. Having said all that, is it unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to say, you know what? It's your responsibility to get your ballot back before the polls close. And, and, and maybe that means you've got to request the ballot, you know, in advance, far enough ahead that you can fill out the ballot and send it in so it gets received. Maybe it means if you decide you want to vote absentee, but you want to wait until the last minute, maybe it means you're going to have to then, you know, show up on election day and either vote in person or drop off your ballot. Is it too much to ask that people get their ballots back? by the close of business. And again, there, there's a legal challenge to this that's going on. As it stands right now, the federal judge's ruling is in effect because the United States Court of Appeals has said that the state, it's, it's I don't want to get too far in the weeds, they, they've said just on a technicality, the, the legislature can't challenge the judge's interpretation of the rules. So as long as the Attorney General and Evers are on board with this, there, there's nothing the legislature can do. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's where it stands. But just as a matter of public policy, is it too much to expect people to drop their ballot, to somehow figure out a way to get their ballot back by the close of business on election day and my answer would be no 855-616-1620 we discuss this is jeff wagner on wtmj 855-616-1620 jeff i have a big concern with one aspect of mail-in ballots whether wisconsin or any state how do you handle mailed-in ballots without postmarks if they're allowed to be received after election day postmarking is not guaranteed now the way the court's ruling says is that if they're not postmarked they're not going to be counted um Jeff, um, I understand that once you mail a ballot in, it's out of your control and you're at the mercy of the post office delivering in a time, but why not just determine a more than reasonable amount of time that it could take for the post office to deliver ballots successfully and make that the postmark date? Um, well, I guess I just... We make it so darn easy to vote. And, and look, and that's a good thing, but is, is it too much to expect... That, you know, given the fact that you can get an absentee ballot now and you can drop it off in, in one of the ballot collection agencies, you can drop it off at the clerk system, you can put, you know, it back in the mail and send it back. You have lots of opportunities to do that. Is there any excuse for saying, OK, well, you've got the absentee ballot. We're going to allow you to wait to mail it until... I don't know, 8 o'clock on the night of the election. Can't we put some responsibility on some of the voters? Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Steve. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, say, I just want to say that, you know, maybe they ought to put a mandate out, uh, put an uh, expiration date or a time limit on absentee ballots. Say, like, maybe they have to be in by the 25th of October or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just waiting until there's no reason for somebody to get their absentee ballot in on 
the day before the election. So there's just no reason for it unless you're a service member stationed overseas or whatever. Right. But to wait till the last minute is uh, to me is ridiculous. Well, I I, I mean, thanks. But, I mean, I right. I I I agree with you. And, and but even then, so let's say let's say you order your absentee ballot now. Okay, that's fine. And for whatever reasons, you you put it in a drawer and you decide I'm I'm not going to fill it out. And then you forget about it. All right, let you you just forget about it. And then on 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 Monday or on election day, you say, Oh my gosh, there's an election coming up. What did I do with that ballot? Oh yeah, let me put it on my stock door and fill it out. Even at that point in time, you you still have the opportunity. Then then you know you you can you fill it out. You get it witnessed. Then you just go down and drop it off. Now it is true. That you can't, if you wait till the last minute under the way the law is written, you're not going to be in a position of being able to to mail it because it will be received after the the third. All right, I understand all that, but but isn't it fair? Isn't it reasonable to put at least some burden on people to do stuff in order to get the thing in on time? I, I mean, I hate to say this, but there's all sorts of examples in, in life where th- there's a reason why you have deadlines. And in the case of elections, to provide certainty and to make sure that there's not voter manipulation. We have polls that open at a certain point in time. We have polls that close at a certain point in time, and that's the deadline for getting the ballots in. I mean, here's the text here. Jeff, you're totally right about it being easy to commit fraud with the extended time frame for accepting mail-in votes. Any office that has a stamp machine can do it, as you have the ability to set date and postage rate as needed. All right. Now, so if you don't think that there's the potential for that to happen and look, if in a, in a state where there's going to be a couple million votes cast, I, I understand that, you know, one particular machine, you're, you're not going to be able to gen- generate thousands and thousands of votes. But imagine an election where it's really, really close and you know it's going to be close. And we've had elections in Wisconsin decided by, you know, Five votes, ten votes, one vote. I mean, the, the, the idea that there is the potential that people can, okay, set that postage stamp and that ballot is then going to get counted. To me, that I think is where you, you have the problem. Jeff, there's no reason to allow any votes to come in after the polls close unless somebody is trying to cheat. Um, well, well, yeah, I, I think that's the case. Jeff, postmarks work for taxes, which fund the operation of the government. Okay, taxes are different than than the voting. You know, the fact that um, if your tax return comes in two or three days later, it's not going to change the outcome of the numbers you're reporting on your tax return. It might affect whether you have to pay a late penalty or not, but it's not going to change those numbers. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think, given the fact that you can request an absentee ballot now, get it, turn it in. Given the fact that you're going to be able to do in-person absentee voting, given the fact that you're going to be able to vote in person, I don't think it's unreasonable to do what the law says, which is have your vote in, whichever way you choose to get it in, have it in by the close of business when the polls close. Now, right now, that's not, there's a court ruling that extends this. Whether or not that changes over the course of the next few weeks, I I don't know. But this is a law that, to me, makes sense. And this is Jeff Wagner, Gru, producing the show today and always. We have discussed this before, both on and off the air. You, You are a fan of professional wrestling. Right, you've 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 attended events in person and stuff. You grew up watching it on TV, all those things. 
Yeah, I watched uh, watched it for a number of years. I don't really keep up with right. it too much now, but, right. I, but when you it grew comes, up watching wrestling. Yeah. When it comes to town, I'll I'll be tempted to go. Absolutely. Well, I I, I mean I I grew up. I've told the story before. My I, I I blame this all on my my grandmother, who just to her dying day never really believed that wrestling was that that, that it was if not fake that the results were predetermined. And my my parents used to on Saturday nights, take me over to my grandfather and grandmother's house, and I'd stay overnight while they went out and did whatever. And, and, and we'd sit down, and we'd, we'd have our TV trays, and we'd watch professional wrestling on the television. And my grandmother would yell and scream at that. And to her dying day, she was a wrestling fan. I inherited that gene. All right, when I say to you, the greatest wrestling tag team of all time, who would that be? Oh, gosh. It would have to be somebody from my age of watching. I can't even think of... I, I can only think of the Dudley Brothers, which is probably not a good answer no, for, for no, people no. Okay, that wrong. like the WWE. Mm, uh, uh. Uh, it would be the, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. Oh, sure. Um, okay. Who yeah, just yeah. who who wrestled all around? But I mean, if you are a professional wrestling fan in the eighties, they they just reinvented the genre because before they came along, tag team wrestling was kind of the well, if you have singles wrestlers who have sort of, you know, they, they don't know what to do with them, they'll, they'll put these guys together and just do it fillers. Um, the tag team wrestling, Animal and Hawk, the Legion of Doom, they just completely changed things around. And these were these these two, you know, big bodybuilders who they, they their gimmick was kind of out of the 1981 Mel Gibson movie, uh, Mad Max. And and what they did is they, they just, they, but they revolutionized the, the industry. And there, there were Animal and Hawk. And Hawk passed away in 2003, um, had, had a number of substance abuse problems over the years and stuff. The reason I bring up Animal, his name was James Laurentis. His, his son was a football player at Ohio State and went on to play linebacker for the Rams for a couple of years. But uh, Road Warrior Animal passed away yesterday. So it's just, it's again, it's, it's one of these kind of end of, of an era. And um, see, a lot of times, rest, pro wrestling, I, it, it's a hard lifestyle. I mean, you have, you, you have wrestlers and you have old people and you rarely have old wrestlers. It's just, it's, I think it's, the, it's the, all the different things that go on. Um, but um, Road Warrior Animal passed away yesterday. And it's just, it, this was a guy that, especially if you follow professional wrestling and you grew up, when I grew up, you, everybody knows about the Road Warriors. And I can remember they, they were in for, they were actually, the, the guys were from Minnesota. And so I can remember them starting with the AWA. And I can remember being at the old Milwaukee Arena, which is now the Milwaukee Theater. And you'd have these guys, they'd, camp, they'd come out to, um, They'd come out to um, this hard rock metal song and stuff, and all you'd you'd hear the the big guitar sounds, and you knew that was the Road Warriors. So Animal has passed away. Um, That's an end of an era. Sail on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Rusty, you know one of the questions I'm getting from listeners of the, the breaking news story that the president's tested positive for mm-hmm. COVID-19? Um, you, you know the, the question that's probably being asked the most that I'm getting? At least, Probably at least a dozen people have asked. Which one? What would happen... If the president were to be incapacitated, we got an election coming up. Mm-hmm. What would happen if he were to be incapacitated, or, or either candidate, or were to die before the election, or um, after the election, but before the swearing in? 
<laughs> I, 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 it's which I, again, it's kind of like okay, we're we're putting the cart before the horse on 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 this I- entire thing. But um, for people who want to know, actually, there, there's a piece I found about this in the Washington Post. So if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, th- there's an article that sort of describes it, and the answer is that the real answer is that nobody knows for sure <laughs> mm-hmm. because you're in uncharted territory. Um, in a situation where you have a candidate who, before the election, um, dies or becomes incapacitated for president, what would happen is the either the Republican National Committee or the Democratic National Committee they would get to. Re- they would put the replacement. They, they would get to name the replacement. All right, well, then it gets tricky, but what if it's happened like now where ballots have been printed and ballots have been sent out? What, what, what do you do because, you know, Rusty Melberg's name is on that ballot, but Rusty is not able to serve? Uh-huh. And then, it, <laughs> then, it, then it just becomes, it becomes a mess, and, and then nobody knows the answer for sure other than, I guess my my big category is okay. It's I, I wouldn't worry about any of this right right now. I mean, because like I say, most people who come down with COVID nineteen, most people are sick for a little bit and then they they get better and they they go on. And it's entirely possible that that maybe something worse will happen. But I wouldn't worry of all the different things to keep you up <laughs> at night. My advice here is don't worry about what the succession plan would be. That sound good? Yeah. All right. <laughs> but if you if you want to know what people at least theories about this, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. And I've got at least one story about this. All right. Story in the Journal Sentinel. And it's, it's interesting and it's thought provoking. Um, written by their business reporter, Tom Dakin. Headline is regional malls nationwide are dying. The Milwaukee area could end up with just one regional mall in a few years. Okay, now let's let's kind of review the bidding about the, the big malls that have been around here. If you are of a certain age, you, you remember Northridge, 76th and Brown Deer, huge, huge shopping mall that is now on the verge of being demolished. Northridge, you know, essentially closed for operations oh, going on 20 years ago, never been replaced. Now it's this blighted area. Um the predecessor to Northridge was Southridge. Southridge Mall, um, still in operation. You have Mayfair Shopping Center, you have Brookfield Square, and you have Bayshore. Okay, so here's the deal. Northridge, of course, it is gone. And this is what uh, Tom Dakin's story talks about. Now, um, Bayshore, Bayshore is being reimagined, and, and there's not an indoor mall at Bayshore anymore. They're, they're turning it into, well, like a Bayshore, I don't think they call it town center anymore, but it's going to have significantly less retail. It's not going to be a shopping mall anymore. It's going to have significantly less retail, and there will be some stores, but what they're hoping is it's condos and office buildings and things of the like. Um, what you have is you have Brookfield Square, which is going through the the same sort of thing. Apparently, there's a planned bankruptcy reorganization that's been filed by the operator of Brookfield Square. Who knows what the future of that is? But if you go out to Brookfield Square now, it's not like it was years and years ago. So, I mean, it's you're, you're starting to see like more of the you know more of the different. 
it, it's some restaurants and stuff on the perimeter, but as far as this huge indoor shopping mall, not happening. Southridge Mall, apparently there's a pending foreclosure of Greendale Southridge Mall. Again, who who knows where this is all going to lead to? But the, the theory, at least, and it's interesting theory, is that in the not-too-distant future, we might be only, we in the Milwaukee area, might be left with only one of your your old indoor interior malls, and that would be Mayfair. And of course, everybody knows that Mayfair's got a number of issues as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, of course, there's, there's a lot of reasons why our, our retail shopping has changed. First of all, of course, you've got the Internet. Now, you know, everybody orders stuff on Amazon, and uh, you can order stuff for delivery from Walmart and from all these different places. So you've got the online shopping. You don't have to go out to the stores. You've got the demise of the big department stores. You know, there there's not a Boston store anymore. You don't have the Sears stores. You don't have the JCPenney's. And I know, I, I understand that you might be able to find a JCPenney's here and there. You might be able to find a Sears store. But I'm talking about, you know, back in the day where you had the typical mall, the Southridge or the Northridge or the Mayfair, and there were the anchor stores. There were the large department stores that brought people in. And then there were all the smaller stores that people went to as well. That that's not that's not there anymore. Plus, I think people's shopping habits have have changed. It's not just the internet, but it's less and less of here. We we want to walk around and we want one of these centrally located things. People, I think, are more like we're going to travel to a particular location. We're going to buy what we want and then we're going to go home. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look into your crystal ball. Five years from now. Ten years from now, will we still have any of these, what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to call the traditional shopping malls that we grew up with? And my answer would be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're all gone. And, and, and there will be strip malls. Matter of fact, I have some friends who are um, real estate developers, and it's, it's a tough time for real estate developers. But like some of the smaller, like the little strip malls, with the you know the 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 haircut place the chain haircut place and, and maybe the the Jimmy Johns or the the cousins in them or maybe the little pharmacy and things like that the, those places I, I think those strip malls and stuff the drugstore maybe maybe the 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 bank if it's not a standalone I think those places there's there's always going to be a role for them the big department stores the the stores that the shopping malls I just. I don't think it's the future. I, I mean, I have to tell you, I just think if candidly, I think five years from now, I would not be surprised. Certainly 10 years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if all of what we think about as being a traditional shopping mall, if they're all gone. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, I, I think it's going to be too bad if that happens. But all right, have shopping malls, are they dinosaurs? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I moved out of the Milwaukee area about 25 years ago. I love going to malls like Northridge and Mayfair. I think the only mall that will stand a chance in the next five or ten years 
will be the mall in Appleton. <laughs> Jeff, you know, when you're talking about malls that have gone, don't forget Point Loomis and Southgate. Um, yeah, you've got that out as well. Jeff, I agree that in five years, the malls will probably all be gone. I do a lot of shopping in the Dells or at various outlet stores, and they seem to be thriving. Um, but um, other than that, yes, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think there's going to be shopping. I think some of these, I, I think the Targets and the Walmarts and those places, the standalone big box stores, I, I think they're going to be fine. But that traditional mall experience, I, I think... I don't, don't, you know, it's kind of like if you ever watched the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is set in a shopping mall in the 70s. Well, that, that mall is long ago closed down. I just think that the shopping experience is different. It's not what people participate in anymore, and I don't see how that's going to come back. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Howdy, Jeff. How's I, it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I think your so-called malls that we have today that uh, are going the way of the dinosaur, but what I do see in the farther future around uh, major metropolitan areas is something where you're going to have a single mega mall like Mall of America, or even like what Disney did down in Florida, the Disney Springs. In other words, it's where everybody from kids to adults, it's literally an experience it's like a mini vacation that also offers you know retail buying higher end dining uh entertainment you know everything but it's all going to be in one spot you know and it's not going to be in town it's going to be you know on the outskirts of a major metropolitan area now, I haven't There's been. Only going to be one of them. I haven't been there in a while. Disney Springs. That's what they used to call Downtown Disney, right? That's the same thing, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And where where you have where you have like the shopping, and you have seven or eight different restaurants that are built around there, and all, and, and it's an attraction in and of itself. No, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think. You know, there there might be something to that, you know, and the Mall of... So your point is, like, it's going to be Mall of America, but it's not just going to be the shops. It's going to be a destination because you're going to have all the restaurants and you're going to have the other activities. You're going to have the indoor theme park and all that sort of stuff that's going to bring people in for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Exactly. And it's going to be relatively close to home. It's not like... Because there's people that go to Mall of America from hundreds of miles away. Right. But yet it's mostly kept afloat by the people that live in the Minneapolis area. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. And that that could, I guess, be a possibility that you're going to have the, the one sort of mega destination that's going to attract people. And again, I'm, you keep in mind, if you look at some of the stuff that's going on, you know, and of course, Southridge is, is dealing with bankruptcy issues. There, there's issues, you know, with Brookfield Square as well. Bayshore is not going away, but Bayshore, it's, they're converting it from, hey, I mean, when I moved to Glendale when I was a kid, I mean, Bayshore, we, we lived about um, like a mile and a half from Bayshore. And I remember when it was kind of like this L-shaped um, strip you know, mall, essentially. And then it became the indoor mall, and it's gone through all these different iterations. And But but up until recently, it was all designed to be shopping, and that's what attracted people. And now what you're seeing is it's that multi-use thing that has a little bit of retail, but it's mostly commercial, it's mostly residential. That, I think, is going to be the, the idea of the future, kind of like what they've got going on out at the corners in Brookfield as well, where, yes, there is shopping, but there's also all this other stuff that's going on.
Let's talk to Brett in Greenfield. Brett, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thank you for having me on. Thanks for calling. Uh, basically, I'm a tenant. I actually am signing a five-year lease into the Mall of Southridge. Okay. I own uh, Robert. I own uh, Robert McDiamond. Okay. Took over the we took over in the Fred Meyer's uh, jewelry store that's been vacant for over two years, and uh, the crazy Robert has. I'm sorry, I, your, your cell phone cut out. I was kind of curious as to the, the story because um, your cell phone cut out on us. But, I, I mean, right, you, typically you'd go to some of these malls and you'd find, like, the jewelry stores and things like that. And the reason why, you know, businesses would open up in the malls is because you'd have you'd have that traffic. You know, you'd, you'd come in. You'd, you'd come in and you, you, you'd want to go to the Boston store. You'd want to go to, you know, again, JCPenney or Sears or whatever that would be. And, and then, you know, you're there and it's like, hey, I, I think I'm going to wander around or as I'm walking from one place to the other, I, I see the display store or here, I, I need this and I'm going to go in. And I, I mean, they've always generated traffic. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm not rooting on for malls to fail. That not at all. I mean, I, I hope it's out there. I, I've just, I guess I've seen some of the declines that are out there. Um, I, I've seen, for for example, Brookfield Square, the stuff that's out at Brookfield Square now is, at least in my opinion, it, it's it's nowhere near what Brookfield Square had like five or ten years ago, which makes the question be become, you know, where what's, what's going to attract people, what's going to drive people there, and especially when you understand that businesses right now, they, they have all sorts of competition, and of course we're in the middle of a pandemic where people, you know, don't like to go out and don't like to be in public spaces with, especially inside public spaces with a lot of other people. Now, th- that We'll get through this. That'll hopefully change. But more and more people are turning to, you know, the Internet stuff. And so the question is, okay, I I love bookstores, but if I see in the Wall Street Journal today that they're recommending this new book on the CIA that just came out, I can say, okay, I can get my car. I can drive to the bookstore. I can see if they have it. Or... I can just go on the computer, and with a couple keystrokes, I can have it delivered to me by tomorrow and not have to pay shipping. That, that's, that's, that's tough to deal with.